We are in our last um, Sunday in our series on the work of Jesus. We spent all of Lent looking at the work of the lives of the Israelites as they journeyed through the desert, leading us up to understanding what Jesus meant for us on the cross. And now we've been spending the past four weeks looking at how Jesus did more than just save us from our sins on the cross. So we looked at the idea that Jesus is both heir and king. We looked at the idea that Jesus was payment for our sins. Last week, we looked at the idea that Jesus is conqueror on heaven and in hell and on earth. And today we're going to look at how Jesus is an example. And so I am going to be reading to you from Romans 8, verses 5 through 17. This is the word of God. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live according with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For it is to live according to for if you live according to the flesh you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, be to God indeed. As I was thinking about this week, I started to think a lot about what it is I'm willing to give up. And we're going to be discussing that exchange today. I thought a lot about it when we were adopting Maylee, and we've talked about that before. What am I willing to give up in order to do this thing I believe you're calling me to do, God? And more recently, I was visiting my sister who lives in Denver, and I have four nieces, or one niece and three nephews, who also live in Denver, and I don't get to see them that often because they live so far away. And one of my greatest sadnesses is that I don't get to be an influence on their everyday lives. I don't get to know them the way I would love to know them, and I don't get to be there for them the way that I would like to be there for them. 
And my niece is Maylie's age, and she is way into gymnastics. She spends a lot of time doing the flippy things. And she has been invited, or she has made it, to the regional championships. And she made it last year. And so this year, when I was asking her about her gymnastics in November, I said, all right, Juliana, I said, if you make it again this year, I will be there to watch you compete. I will be there. I made a promise to a 12-year-old that I would show up <laughs> in another state on an unnamed date and time. Welcome to gymnastics. <laughs> and so, sure enough, she makes it. And my sister calls me and she tells me what date it is and it happens to be this coming weekend. And this coming weekend also happens to be when all of the other things in my life are happening. Happens to be when so much, you know, you have a graduating senior, I have kids who have plays and choral thingies and all the stuff. And I thought to myself, what am I willing to give up in order to be present for somebody I promised my presence to? I thought about, okay, she's competing probably Friday. She said it's Friday and Saturday, but they always have her age go, go Friday. So you'll be fine. If you have to leave Saturday, you'll be fine. So I bought my tickets. I said, okay, I'm going. I'm going to go, I'm going to show up. So I'm going to leave really late Thursday night. I'm going to show up in Houston. I'm going to watch her compete on Friday, and I'll leave early Saturday morning so that I can be at church and alive and present for you all, right? No. Correct. I make my tickets, and then my sister calls me, and she said, oh, Alyssa. I said, yes. She said she's actually competing Saturday, and it won't be done till 6 o'clock. And I was like, mm. So... Then I thought, what am I willing to do to be present for this child that I promised to be present to, that I can't be present to the rest of the time? I went online. They had no tickets on my airline that left late enough for me to see her competition. And then I thought, well, then that's just a sign I shouldn't go. And then I thought about it, and I was like, really? Is that a sign you shouldn't go? Is that really what it is, or are you just really, really tired already? And I think I was just really, really tired already. And so I looked at another airline, and I found a ticket that gets me out at 9 o'clock there, gets me here at 1 o'clock in the morning. So be nice to me next week. And I made the ticket. And then I got a text from my niece with all of the emojis and all of the things and all of the stuff saying, I cannot believe you're coming. I am so thankful that you're going to be there. Yeah. <laughs> And I have to tell you, we make these exchanges all the time. We decide what we're willing to give up in order to do something else. What am I willing to give of myself? What am I willing to give of my life? What am I willing to change in order to receive, in order to do something else? And in our faith life, what we're asked to do when we accept Christ into our life, what we're asked to do is exchange the way that we live in the flesh for the way that we're supposed to live in the spirit. And what's hard about that, you would think it'd be really easy because living in the spirit is better, but what's hard about that is that in order to not live in the flesh and to live in the spirit, we have to give stuff up. Stuff we like. I mean, stuff we really, really like. Stuff we've grown accustomed to. Stuff that makes our lives easier, stuff that makes us comfortable, stuff that brings us peace for the moment, but then we pay for it, you know, a long time after that. What we're asked to do when we accept Christ into our life 
when we accept the work of the Spirit, is to give up the, our hold on this world, to reject the way the world has a hold on us, and to accept the freedom that comes from living in the Spirit. And I wish I had a roadmap I can give every one of you that if you just followed all these steps, it would work perfectly for you. I wish I had one, but that's not the way it works because it's different for every one of us. Things that you have to give up, not things I have to give up. Things I have to give up, not things you have to give up. Things that God is asking me to change is specific to me in my life. There's some things that are general, broad. You know, let's not murder, right? Broad. But when we look at the minor details of our lives, there's a lot of things that keep us beholden to this world and don't let us live in the freedom of the Spirit. And what we see with Jesus coming is we see this exchange happening daily in the life of Christ. The first exchange happens when he agrees to come and live in humanly form on the earth. Jesus made an exchange. He chose to give up his full godly nature because Jesus is, was, and always will be. Jesus was there at creation. Jesus had part of creating you. Jesus chose to give that up to come put on human form, which we know is not fun sometimes, right? We know the pain of being in the human form. Jesus put on that form for you and I. He made an exchange. He decided we were more important than him and his life. And here I am feeling good about flying across the country. Well, not really, like three states over, right? Jesus gave up his life, and I'm celebrating the fact that I said, I'll be there. But that's what Jesus did. And then every day, Jesus made decisions that went against what we would say is a normal decision to make. All the way to the moment when he wakes up and walks that final walk into Jerusalem with each step making a decision to show up there knowing that it would end on the cross with a death that was not easy, with a death that was painful, with the shame of our sins cloaked around him. Jesus constantly made exchanges, giving up the desires of the flesh in order to live in the freedom of the Spirit. And Jesus did that because Jesus knew if he didn't do that, a few things wouldn't happen. We couldn't be free. Humanity could not be free unless Jesus did that. And Jesus also knew that if he didn't die and be resurrected, if he didn't then come and... So he came, he made friends, right? And his friends didn't want him to leave. And in another exchange, he said, I have to leave in order for you to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what we see happening here in Romans 8 is a declaration of what it means to live in the Spirit versus what it means to live... In the flesh. Starting in verse 5, it tells us that those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh and what the flesh desires. I think we know what that feels like. Those who live in accordance with the Spirit has their mind on the Spirit and what the Spirit desires. And when we live according to the Spirit, there is freedom. So I want to talk about three specific ways that you and I, three broad categories, because there's a lot more than this, but I can't cover it all in the minute, a little bit of time you give me. You're going to be pointing at your watches saying, I'm hungry. Don and Sandy are going to be looking at it going, where are my people? Right? The food is ready. There's three things I want to look at today. The first one we are going to look at is the idea 
that in Jesus, we are set free from our own self-obsession. You see, in order to live according to the Spirit, we have to stop living for ourselves. We have to stop living for ourselves. And I want to ask you, what does your daily life look like? What does your prayer life look like? What are your thoughts focused on? See, for me, I wish I could tell you that every thought I have, that every moment of my life, I'm thinking about God, I'm thinking about Jesus, I'm praying about everybody else, and it has nothing to do with me. I wish I could tell you that was true. I'm not there yet. You see, a lot of my day is focused on me. It's focused on how I'm going to make it through the day. It's focused on how I'm going to do my work. It's focused on how I'm going to be a mom. It's focused on how I'm going to be a wife. It's focused on a lot of things. It's focused on my health. It's focused on the things that I wish were better. It's focused on the things that I am not able to fix and I want God to desperately fix, but for me, right? It's about me. And the world that we live in does not make that easier because the world that we live in tells us that the most important things in our lives is me, right? It's ourselves. Everything you watch, like you watch a TV commercial, you drive through the billboards, it's like you see a billboard for food, it's telling you you're hungry and you should feed that hunger inside of you, right? Publix chicken is the best chicken ever. There's one, I tell you Inez now because there's a billboard between here and my house with Publix fried chicken on it. And every time I see that, I didn't know I needed fried chicken until that moment. And I'm pretty certain that we're having fried chicken for lunch on Sunday, right? It's all about me. We have to fulfill our desires. And so what the world tells us is that in order to be happy, in order to have joy, in order to be fulfilled, we have to make the best of our lives. It's all about doing it on our own. If you make it on your own, well, you matter more than the person who used some people to help them, right? If you achieve what you want most in this life, then you've done it. If you throw everyone else aside so that you can get what you want in this world, that is okay. But what Jesus did was the complete opposite of that. You see, Jesus gave us an example of what it looks like not only to make those exchanges regularly, but what it looks like to live in the Spirit. Every moment of his life was living in the Spirit. When he came down to earth, it wasn't about what was right for him, because what was right for him was to not leave the perfect place. He was thinking about what was right for us, what was right for creation, what was right for the rest of the world. And every moment of every day, even though he felt tired, like humans felt tired, even though he felt sad sometimes, even though he was enraged with anger sometimes, Jesus' focus was not on those internal feelings. They were on us. And so for or, in order for us to live in the Spirit, we have to learn to understand what it means for us to not be focused on ourselves. What does it mean to live like Jesus did? And what does it mean to connect with the Spirit and focus on the life of God and the life of the Spirit and seeking God daily about what God wants for you in that moment? I'm good at praying that prayer once every, you know, I'd like to say a few weeks but it's usually a few years. What do you want from me now, God? But really, we should be asking that every day. God, what do you want from me today? What do you want for me today? How am I supposed to live in the power of your spirit today? That's what Jesus did. The second thing that we do 
that keeps us from living in the power of the Spirit is that we are stuck measuring by the standards of the world, right? Our measurement of success is how we measure maybe on social media. And I've said this before, but it is why I am not on social media, because I know me, Alyssa, the human that I am, is really swayed by the way all of you present your perfect lives, right? Because what's out there is pretty, it's, it's a very idealized version of what your life really is. And even though I know that, there's still something in me that says, oh, you're not doing enough. Not for God, but you're not doing enough to matter in this world. So I had to say goodbye to that world. But then it still happens, right? The music that we listen to, the books that we read, the shows that we watch, our friends at work, our friends in church, they live a certain way and they think you should be living that way too and you have to constantly measure yourself based on what those people are saying, not what God is saying. We measure ourselves whether or not my car measures up, whether or not my house measures up, whether my, my 401k, if we're lucky enough to have one, measures up. Does my job give me enough status in this world? We're constantly measuring ourselves based on the values of the world and not based on the values of the spirit. That's one of the ways the flesh pulls us and keeps us from experiencing the freedom that Christ has for us. And you know what happens when we do that? We get in tens and thousands of dollars of debt. Because I can afford the payments on that. Right? Another thing that it does is that it shows us that relationships, eh, right? Because what the world dictates to us is separation, not unity. What the world dictates to us is doing what's best for you and not what's best for the world. And we become separated, we become divided, we have disagreements with our friends because, well, I believe this. And somebody over here believes this. And we can't come in the middle anymore because the world says that what we believe is 100% right. And if somebody doesn't believe the way we believe, they're wrong, even though nobody believes the same on anything. Even on football, the thing y'all love so much, we cannot agree. It creates division, this hanging on to the flesh, hanging on to the measurements of this world. My football team has five national championships. Yours only has two. I'm not really an Alabama fan, and I don't really know how many national championships they have, but Jesus, on the other hand, came and flipped the values of the world on their head. The Jews were expecting a king who would come and rule in a very worldly way, who would come and bring a war, who would come and free them on this earth, who would come and show the rest of the world just how important they were, right? But what did Jesus do? Jesus came and became the lowliest of the low. Jesus came and hung out with sinners and with tax collectors. Jesus came and made his life nothing so that he could reach all things. Does that reflect in your life? Are you living the way that Jesus showed us how to live? Are you giving up the important things in this world so that you can shine light into the darkness the way that Jesus did? So that you can show up at the table of sinners the way Jesus did? 
Are you making yourself lower so that somebody else can raise? Because that's what Jesus did. Yet we are held by the flesh to the measures of this world. Then the last thing that I want to talk about today is the idea that in this world, one of the things that we do that keeps us slave to the flesh is that we focus on the darkness of others so that we can hide from the darkness of ourselves. We spend a lot of time thinking about how that person is doing something wrong and how that person has wronged me and how that person is obviously a two-faced person who doesn't know Jesus at all. We spend time tearing down others in our minds and then out loud to our friends who we want to get on our side, right? We want our friends on our side. We want them to agree with us that that person is a wretched human being. And in that way, I don't have to face the things inside of myself that are just as broken. The Jews did it. They spent all their time in the wilderness complaining about what Moses wasn't doing right, what Aaron wasn't doing right, what God wasn't doing right. Literally God. Not for once looking at themselves and wondering how it was they were participating in the moment, wondering how it was that they were being dark themselves, wondering how it was that they were toxic in the situation. And the reality is, wherever things are broken in your life, you are playing a part in that brokenness. And any relationship that is divided in your life, you are playing a part in it. I'm not going to tell you that you're worse than the other person. I'm not going to tell you that they're worse than you. But we all play a part in it. And the only thing we can do to fix the brokenness in our lives is to recognize the part that we are playing. The only thing that we can do to fix relationships, to see the world better, to accept the freedom that God wants for us, is to live according to the Spirit. And the Spirit says that we, not you, that me, not you, needs to be transformed. And the only transformation that I am in charge of, even just a little bit, is mine. And that's not even up to me. That's up to me connecting with the Spirit so that the Spirit can do the work the Spirit wants to do. Thank God for that. Because if it was all on me, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> Guy's laughing because he knows my brokenness. <laughs> we paint the people around us in a way that makes it easier to live with ourselves. It's a reality of the human condition. Jesus came. He made friends with 12 people. Not 12 random people, 12 people he chose to be in close community with that they would be connected to God. It was a Christian fellowship. It was a group set apart. And those people chose not to do things on their own. And even as Jesus did his work, as he went throughout the lands doing his ministry, when his mother and his brothers thought he was crazy, when his disciples thought he was crazy, when the Pharisees and the Sadducees thought he was crazy, did he fight that fight? No. Jesus stood before Pilate, letting the wrongness, letting the fakeness, letting the, the lies, that's the word I'm looking for, of the world rain down on him, 
not fighting the lies, but being simply who he was created to be. You and I spend all of our time trying to reflect something different to the world, trying to hide from what is truly inside of us when Jesus just simply sat in his humanity because Jesus was human. And when Jesus felt his most human, he went into silent prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he said, God, I don't like what's happening. God, I'm struggling to continue to live out this life that you have called me to. And he prayed that if God had any other way, that God would make that happen. Any other way than death, any other way than suffering, any other way than sitting on the cross for us, that God would allow that to happen. But that regardless, he would do what God asked him to do. Does your prayer life reflect that? You see, Jesus came and showed us how to live in the Spirit. Jesus showed us what it meant to make those exchanges, to live in community, to not live for himself, to not measure his deeds by the measurements of the world, and then not to cover his own darkness, but to surrender it to God instead of gossiping with one another. You see, the promise of Scripture is that if we can learn to let go of the way that this world has a hold on us, we can receive the blessings of the Spirit. We can live in the way that we were created to live. And you know what changes? You see, not only our life changes, but the lives around us change. When we start to be different, when we take off that cloak of darkness that we're trying to hide from everybody, newsflash, they know, right? They know. They may not know the specifics of your darkness, but they know. And we receive people the way that Jesus did. Instead of tearing people down, instead of reflecting darkness back onto others, we give them grace. We give them mercy. We give them love. And we seek God's presence, not in smiting them, but in helping us to accept and love them. We become bearers of the Spirit. We become children of God and co-heirs with Christ. Do you know what it means to be a co-heir with Christ? It means that all of these things, that all of creation, that all of heaven and an earth is not only of the kingdom of God, but is also ours. That all of the goodness in it is not only for them, but for us. Are you willing to exchange those things that you don't want to let go of in order to accept the goodness that God has for you? I want to read you this scripture again. But I'm going to read it to you from the message version of the Bible. You can get the message of the version of the Bible, of the Bible on any um, Bible app that you have on your phone. You can also buy a message version of the Bible. What I like about the message version is every now and again, I'll look at something that seems very confusing in Scripture. And I'll do all of my study. And then I think, how do I put this in words that are relatable to us today? And I go to the message version. And the message version is simply scripture and words that are very relatable to us today. And I'm going to read to you this scripture. Those who think they can do it on their own, all of us, end up obsessed with measuring their own moral code, but never get around to exercising it in real life. Those who trust God's action in them find God's spirit is in them, living and breathing. 
Obsession with the self in these matters is a dead end. Obsession to ourselves leads to death. Attention to God leads us out into the open, into a spacious, free life. Focusing on the self is the opposite of focusing on God. Anyone completely absorbed in the self ignores God, ends up thinking more about the self than God. The person ignores God and what God is doing, and God isn't pleased being ignored. But God himself takes up residence in your life. You can hardly be thinking more of yourself than him. Anyone, of course, who has not welcomed the invisible but clearly present God and the Spirit of Christ won't know what we are talking about. If you have not accepted Christ into your life, there is not a moment left to wait. There's not a reason to wait, because when you accept Christ, you get the Spirit. But for you who welcome him, in whom he dwells, even though you still experience all the limitations of sin, that doesn't mean life's going to be perfect, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but even though you experience those limitations in life, you will experience life on God's terms, not the world's terms. It stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves in your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bring you alive to himself. God wants to do in you what he did in Jesus. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be alive as Christ's body. This is the exchange we're being asked to make, to let go of the things that we don't want to let go of, so that we can accept the life that wants to live and breathe and move in us. So don't you see that we don't owe it to this do-it-yourself kind of life? There's nothing in it for us. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is to give a decent burial to that kind of living. Give a burial to the matters of this world. Give a burial to the self-sufficiency of this world. Give a, a burial to the way that we look at others and get on with our new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection, the life you receive from God, is not a timid, grave-tending life. It is adventurously expectant. Is your life adventurously expectant? Greeting God with childlike joy, saying, what's next, Papa? What's next? God's Spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. We know who he is. We know who we are, father and children. And we know that we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. We go through exactly what Christ goes through. We, if we go through hard times, we're going through hard times with Christ because Christ went through hard times too. And then if we go through good times, we're going through good times because Christ went through them too. We have a decision to make. As Jesus exchanged his perfect life for an imperfect life so that you and I could be freed from the patterns of this world, Jesus gave us the ability to do the same thing. And your choice today is this. Are you going to continue to live a life that is for yourself? Are you going to continue to be self-obsessed? Are you going to continue to do things that are only about you 
Or are you going to exchange that for the life of service and the life of love that Jesus exhibited to us? Are you going to continue to measure your life based on the way the world measures things? Are you willing to exchange that measurement to receive the joy that the Holy Spirit has for you? And are you going to continue to paint others as dark, ignoring the deep darkness that exists inside of you? Or are you going to receive the freedom that the Spirit wants to bring to you, to your heart, and to your soul? That's a choice we have today. And it's not a one-time decision. What we have to remember as we leave here today is that we make that decision every moment of every day. When we relate with each other, we're making that decision. When we wake up in the morning and what we do, we make that decision. You don't have to do it on your own. And that's what I'm going to leave you with today. This is not something you do on your own. When Jesus left and went back, was resurrected into heaven, Jesus left with us the counselor, the Holy Spirit, who gives us the ability, the power, and the knowledge to know what it is we're meant to do. We just have to say yes, willing to exchange this world for another. Let us pray. God, I thank you so much for asking, for calling, for inviting, for making it possible that we can live a life that is full of joy, full of fulfillment, if we are willing to give up the things of this world that hold us back. Lord, in the power of the Holy Spirit, would you make us more aware of the ways in which we are not saying, what is next, Papa? And God, would you help us to be expectant adventurously, excitedly expectant about the ways in which you want to move in us, you want to change us in the way that you want to use us, not for our glory, but for yours and for the healing of your creation. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.